Hey friends, I go by Chavid Dang. Yo fam, I'm Dine Peace. You're listening to Sit Down, Be Hungry. If it ain't shabu, we ain't hot potting. Hi, Chavid Dang here. This is a very special episode of Sit Down, Be Hungry in partnership with the Asian Art Museum in San Francisco. On July 19th, the Asian Art Museum is hosting the first ever Chef's Hawker Center Festival, featuring chefs and mixologists from the Bay Area. To help preview the event, we sit down with Chef 2 David Fu, friend of the show and executive producer of the festival, to run through the lineup. Sylvia Chang, the educator for public programs at the Asian Art Museum, to tell us about the museum's tasting menu series and her favorite Korean food in the Bay. Acclaimed chef Duki Hong and Janet Lee of the Sunday Group, the hospitality group behind Sunday Bird and Sunday at the Museum, and mixologist Adam Boots Brogren of Louis Bar, and the Jack Daniels cocktail champ to give us insight on the craft of tending bar and how he uses his Filipino heritage in developing ideas for his drinks. Special thanks to the Asian Art Museum and Louis Bar for allowing us to record on-site at their spaces. The Chef's Hawker Center Festival is July 19th at the Asian Art Museum in San Francisco. Tickets are available at asianart.org. Let's get into it. Yeah, yeah. Hold up, bitch. Sit down. Be hungry. Sit down. Be hungry. This is Sit Down, Be Hungry. This is Dine Peas. This is Chavid Dang. We are here with my personal homie, my brother. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. Homie of the show. Southeast Beast. Southeast Beast. G-A-M-E. <laughs> Welcome to. I'm sorry. I'm I'm halfway paying attention because I'm I'm having this song. I'm serenading yeah, myself I listened in my to head. You. I was yeah. listening to it as well. Shout out to Louise again, Joe. I want to know. Oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So we wouldn't actually be here if it wasn't for you. Don't say that. It's true. We said it. Yeah, we said it's it. true. Aww. You're amazing. Aww. Allergies in this, this damn basement. <laughs> <laughs> the dander, maybe. It's the dust. Oh, my God. Maybe not, because it's a very clean basement. So can you tell our listeners, what is this festival? So this festival is called Chef's Hawker Center. I founded it about last year. So, And it's a traveling dinner series that celebrates the dining institutions in Asia. And the dining institutions in Asia that pre-exist restaurants are these hawker centers, which are essentially night markets. And it's a community center. It's usually in like a plot of land and it's small vendors and each vendor does one thing. And, and that's they do usually, it well. And they, and do, they it well. do it well. Yeah. And it's usually like generation old grandmother style techniques and recipes from their family heritage. And people, whether you're rich or poor, they would go to these stalls and buy food and they would sit in these communal tables and all eat together. So whether you're rich or poor, no matter what color you are, no matter what politics you have, everyone will sit and eat at the same community center. I think that's one of the big, beautiful things. And the things that I resent about working in restaurants in here in America or in this Western world is that it's sort of, um, it's become elitist. Mm-hmm. So you have rich restaurants separate from poor restaurants or poor people. And there's this cosm that happens. You know, I just wanted to do Hawker Center because I thought it was appropriate for the political times. And mm-hmm. I, I, I think it'd be appropriate a way for me to bring people from different walks of life together to set the same style and communal table. And at the same time, tell the stories of my heritage and hopefully having other people identify with that. Can you tell us at all uh, what you're preparing for the event? So I'm going to be in two places. I'm going to be in VIP and I'm going to be doing Vietnamese flan that's made inside of eggshells. Ooh. Very delicate, ginger syrup, banana compote and some other special garnishes that only if you buy a VIP ticket, you'll get to know. Ooh. And at the same time, if you buy a VIP ticket, I'll be giving everyone in VIP a personal tour of all the vendors. What a good guy. General admission, I'll be making bum yam, which is my childhood favorite. It's a dish that my mom made for me growing up, and that's rice noodle, coconut milk, banana flour, and all these other exotic Asian things. It's my personal favorite. I really love it. And if you guys want to try it, you're only going to be able to try it at the festival because they don't sell nope. it. Nope. I've only had it when you made it. I know, because that dish alone is uh, only exists on the island that my parents are from. Ooh. And yeah, that's right. I know 
said I'm Vietnamese, but Vietnam has islands too. And I want to tell the story of my heritage because that's what I am and who I am. Well, I think we're glad the template is coming to this platform because I mean, Dime Piece and I have enjoyed the product and Dime Piece has worked in some of the product as well too. So to bring it to, uh, to kind of have this collaboration happen is beautiful. It's to give voice, not just to myself, but to all of my other chef homies that oh, yeah. do amazing food. We have a, a rock star lineup for, sure. for this event. Yeah, I read that sure. menu and I was like, oh my God. That's the thing, it's like, I know there's a lot of amazing chefs out there and I, I'm gonna be very honest, I was just very, very lucky to have my opportunity to shine and I wanna focus my energies on, on everyone else who haven't had their chance yet to kind of voice their cuisine and their story, which is just as important as mine. Absolutely, you gotta pay it forward. Yeah, pay it forward and let them kind of speak to it. And I think one of those people that I know really, really well, a great friend of mine is Francis Hang. Yep. Um, he's had Shout so much praise. Francis. Shout out to Francis Hang for no heritage and the things that he does. I call him the Mara Batali of <laughs> the Philippines without the sexual harassment cases and all hey. that stuff. Yeah. No, me too. <laughs> yeah, so that dude's baller. Multiple times in Food and Wine magazine. James Beard as well, James I believe. James Beard House. Yep. The dude's amazing. I, I, I would have to say, I mean, if you ask him, he'll deny it, but <laughs> for what he's doing for Filipino-American cuisine in America, and putting it forth and telling the stories and telling people that Filipino cuisine is not just lumpia pensit. He's doing it by region, by region, by region. Oh, yeah. Because he goes back to the Philippines like every year. Yeah. And every year he goes back it's to a different region. Part of my favorite dish from Francis is that he burns coconut flesh and turns it into ash. Mm -hmm. Like completely burns it. And he uses that black ash and he marinates chicken rice. Mm -hmm. I'm oh, telling you, it's, it sounds so backward, but it's part of no, that so, sounds tight it's to so me. Good. It's so good. It's the most good. delicious thing I've ever had. Um, and he every cooks, time and he, he cooks it over the binchotan. Yeah, he cooks it over binchotan, which is like this Japanese high heat grill, like wood grill. But every time he serves it, every time I see him at an event, I eat like 20 of them. <laughs> and more people need to know about him. Absolutely. Not that he needs my support or anybody else's support. I'm so just good. a big fan. I'm a groupie. Yeah, <laughs> likewise. I'm a Francis groupie as yeah. well. Yeah, <laughs> he's still each sure. that balut dish. Ugh, yes. For sure. Oh, man. And uh, amongst other chefs that will be participating in this event, uh, Reem from Reem's Bakery and Yaffa. Yaffa is her new space in Jack London. One of my favorite chefs. I have to say she's probably one of the best chefs in California, hands down. Yeah. You want to argue with me, then come at me. I'm ready, yeah. you know? You got to buy VIP to do it, though. <laughs> you got to buy VIP to do it. And, and one thing people don't know about Reem is that she's not quote-unquote formally trained. And the way she taught herself was uh, memory of taste and through heritage and through family and through culture. I think, I think that's a bigger flex. That's a huge bigger flex. And to be able to execute it on her level, that just speaks wonders of amazing of how, how amazing she is. Okay. You know, everyone speaks about Mediterranean cuisine, but when you talk about Mediterranean cuisine, it's always limited to like Greek. Yeah, or it's just friends. Euros or some. I feel like like a lot of cuisines that get brought into the States, they have to get generalized just for necessity. But I love that we're in a time now where we can start to branch out from the generalization and we're doing it in small steps with things like this. You know what's something that's real? Something that's really real? There is a online table reservation company that only has so many categories to put your, your food under. You know what Reem was forced to place herself under uh, us? I do want to know, but I don't want to know. You want to know? You yeah. should know, because it's important. They forced her to put it under other. Oh, oh really? I mean, we're we're in. It's 2018. We're in the Bay. It's 2018. We have many coders out there that yeah. could easily fix this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they're gonna hear from me. <laughs> I think that's the thing too. It's that you know we live in this world where it's all about financial return, and we don't do things unless we have a financial return. I think we need to change that. People have gotten too much financial return and not enough 
social return. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a big part of what I'm doing this as well too. It's like all the proceeds of this event, I'm not profiting from it. All the proceeds are going back to the Asian Art Museum mm-hmm. to nice. kind of build out their message and spread the word, talk about Asian culture, Asian art, and, and celebrate it. Yep. And to be very honest, as an Asian American in these political times, I feel like our category of people, we get dismissed a lot. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm not saying that one group of people suffers more than another or you know, we suffered worse or anything. I'm not saying that. It's just we have stories too. And I strongly believe and appreciate that the Asian Art Museum tells us. I'm so excited for this festival. It's something that we have never had before. Yeah. Being at the Asian Art Museum is special. For sure. This is definitely going to be a special event. For sure. Like I see all the other events like Pigs and Pinot and Eat and Drink SF. And there's not really an Asian event that you can attend. The only ones you can go is probably like the Japanese Blossom Festival, Mm -hmm. Chinese New Year. But if you want like an Asian food festival, where can you go to experience that? Yeah. yeah. I haven't seen any. So why not make it yourself or get involved with it when you see it? Not make it myself, but while my friends and I get together and do something about it, you know? Um, and if you're noticing it, a lot of other people that feel that way are probably thinking about it as well and noticing it as well. Yeah, and it's just like, you know, it's just another excuse to celebrate, you know, and celebrating and listening to stories is only educational and empowering. Hey. If you do that over like sponsored alcohol, great. Well, and <laughs> great food to go with it as well, yeah, too. Absolutely. Are there any other vendors you're really excited about at the event? Um, Silver Oak. I'm yes. so appreciative of them signing on. I work with them quite a bit. I love Silver Oak. They really Oak. get how impactful sponsorships can be. And I'm very grateful for their relationship and their involvement in this event. So if you guys sign into VIP, you guys will have access to amazing, amazing Silver Oak. Just for those of you who don't know, um, Silver Oak are two to $300 bottles a piece. Mm-hmm. I have had it at uh, some previous Chef's Hawker Center dinners and uh, it's quite delicious. Yes, Mac Maul, myself, Hey, A&P other friend of the show. On this Bay Area hip hop song. We drink Silver Oak. It's town business out here. It's town business out here. Town business. Yeah. Nice. What about any of the other vendors, too? Who else is there? My homeboy, Dookie, of Sunday Yo. at the Cafe. Hey, Dookie. Gang, gang. Uh, amazing chef. Came from New York. Found his new home at the Asian Art Museum. The cafe there is called Sunday at the Museum. Yeah. There's amazing, amazing fried chicken. And then uh, he also has a Sunday bird inside of Boba Guy. Yep, so the dude's blown up. If you guys haven't had a chance, you know, come check him out at the Asian Art Museum, um, at, especially at a Chef's Hawker Center because he's going to be doing some cool things. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Rich Gale Enriquez of Aztec Vegan. We're going to have vegan food that's there as well. Mariko Grady <laughs> of Aiden Fermented. Sean Naputi of Probetchu. Hey. That's Guam food. That's the yeah. homie Ooh. right there. He was a Encanto chef alumni. Um, and that's Crisco Santino's camp. Oh, yeah. Big okay. fan of that brand as well. Dude, super, super baller. Jacob Rosenbush uh, of Hardwood Bar and Smokery. Hands down, I think that's the best barbecue in the Bay Area. Yeah. If Jacob brings anything different, it's a twist on it. He grew up Papa, so half Asian, half American household. And he fuses the two. So he does smoked char siu ribs. So good. Mic oh, drop. Those, those have been delicious. I've had Mic those. drop. Mic drop. Yeah. Mic drop. Agreed. Yeah. I always ask him like, hey, have any ribs in your pocket? He's like, yes, Dainty's. I just carry ribs around with me. <laughs> <laughs> my homegirl, Night Yoon. You know, I got a special place in my heart yes. for Night Yoon of Numbai. Finally got to try the new place recently. I was a big fan when it was in the public market across the street from my place. Got to have the new spot in Fruitvale. Yeah. Delicious. Yeah. I could drink that chili oil by itself. 1,000%. Oh, and good. if you fucking with night, you fucking with me. All right? That's my homegirl. She does Cambodian cuisine, a.k.a. Kamai. Shout out to my Cambodian homies out there in Oakland, representing Bay Area, Stockton, what it is. Cambodian cuisine, I have to say, beyond Chinatown and the small institutions that merely exist in the Bay Area, she's really taking the cuisine forward and letting people know, first and foremost, 
that Cambodia exists. Not, not a lot of people know Cambodia. They even know of Cambodia. Yeah, you're right. You know, and in the, the stories that are attached to that, like Khmer Rouge and all that stuff. The cool thing about her is that she's not talking about the war. She's celebrating Cambodian cuisine pre-war. Oh, yeah. And with all levels, too, the food and the music, too. When I went in there, I love, like, the, that 60s and mm. 70s stuff they were playing. It was beautiful. From, yeah, yeah, from that era, yeah. Yeah. It was dope. Also at the festival, we got Jason Angeles of Frozen Custard, Mariko Grady of Aiden Fermented, Hanif Sadir of Kamaj, and we also got a mixologist, Kevin Diedrich, Pacific Cocktail Haven. That's a baller-ass bar. I love, love PCH. Yeah. We just went, like, last week. Who handpicked all these chefs? I think it was a collaboration with myself and Sylvia Chang. Big shout-out to Sylvia Chang. Yes, She's the okay. uh, events coordinator of the Asian Art Museum. Mm-hmm. Big supporter. I love you, homie. <laughs> and I have to say is that, you know, all the blessings that come up to this moment for this event, um, beyond others, I definitely have to thank the people in my life who, when I've come to, they reached out and they supported wholeheartedly and fully. And... You know, like I'm, I'm just very grateful. Be a good person. <laughs> so I know having this festival was a pretty uh, big goal for you. What's next after this? Are you hoping to make this a reoccurring event? When I first started doing pop-ups overall, like three years ago, pre, pre the accolades, pre Top Chef, and all that stuff. I think my goal was just to learn more about myself mm-hmm. and my family story, my family heritage, and just kind of play around with food and. While I'm playing around with food, I need And then hope money. to survive. <laughs> yeah, hope to survive. And I need to, like, make money somehow. Yeah. So I started hosting dinners. And everything started kind of, like, speeding up. And all these things happened. Top Chef happened and all this stuff. What I wanted to do with Chef's Hawker Center was that I wanted to spread that message beyond. So it was a traveling dinner series. Spreading that message you want to talk about, you know, mother's recipes and culture and story and heritage and all this stuff. And going to different states and collaborating with chefs and serving it to a completely different demographic. And I guess the next pivot for that is that, you know, I've been working on a stocky series at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that whole shift, the whole point of all this cooking this whole time was to storytell. Yeah, absolutely. Everything we do, the way I believe to function, I'm not looking to like be the best in anything or whatever, or nor am I trying to compete with anybody. All I'm really trying to do is fuck with my homies, have a good time and do things together, you know, and, and celebrate as much as we can. And that's a reflection of what this festival is, is where just coming together and celebrate and telling our stories and having a good time and inviting everyone else into it. That's it. Hey, thank you. Thank you. All right. So Dine Peace and I here are joined by Sylvia, the educator for public programs at the Asian Art Museum. Hello. Thanks for being here. Welcome. Glad to be here. So your role there, educator for public programs, what does that actually entail? So our education team, we have kind of two teams, main teams, our school and program teams, and then our public programs team. And then in our public programs teams, broken up again, kind of by audiences of like who we want to target. And so I do programs targeting adults, both for Thursday night programming and some weekend programming at the museum. Well, how long have you been? at the museum for? I've been at the museum a little over five years now. Okay. So. Oh, very cool. Mm-hmm. I started out actually in curatorial, so I was in the Korean art department, so I was very kind of far from food programming and like working with chefs. I was really just doing a lot of research and sitting in front of a computer. But then I switched over to education because I realized my passion is really more working with people and working with the community. And so one of the things when I moved to education was how do we get people like the Asian American audiences, our communities to come into the museum and not have people think of the museum as like this really going traditional, to going to a museum, museum. right? Yeah, so, very cool. Is that how you found too? So yeah, it's so actually at the museum. I started the tasting menu series at the museum about three years ago. So it's third year. And I met to through actually a program that he did at the JACC. 
and introduced myself and maybe just got some coffee together and he told me about the pop-ups he's been doing and that his ultimate goal is to have a big festival at the end and he was like can we do it at the museum and I was like <laughs> Uh, I've never done anything that big before, but maybe. <laughs> let's like, try. Sure, let's do it. Let's see. How often does this chef series happen? So, or a tasting series? A tasting menu series. So it happens during our Thursday night season, which is February through September. Okay. It's a long um, season. Yeah. So it's a Thursday night season. And so maybe like, I think the first year we did five and the next year six. This year we only did four. Okay. So, but since this Hawker Center is just so much bigger, um, you know. So what happens in this like tasting series? Like someone buys a ticket and attends? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So typically um, the tasting series it would start out with kind of like a talk with like a panel mm -hmm. and then followed by some tastings by the chefs but for this one for the hawker center it's really just going to be like a night market your ticket includes access to all the booths um, to drink tickets to try the guest mixologist cocktails for the evening and it's just supposed to be a fun night there'll be you guys DJing playing mm -hmm. some good music yes so when you sat down with two um, and had coffee how long ago was that and like how long is it to manifest this actual festival We've actually been talking for more than a year. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. The museum, I mean, we budget out, you know, pretty early on and just kind of having to get things on the calendar. Typically, we program nine months to a year out. And so yeah, it's finally coming together. <laughs> Are you like, yes, my, yeah. ba my baby's almost it's here. Close. <laughs> almost born. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited for this event. Yeah, the, men, yeah, be the so menu, cool. the menu came out, and the menu looks amazing. amazing. Well, like, there's gonna be more, <laughs> and there's yeah. gonna be more. Yeah. That's the crazy part. Like, yeah, what? I can't wait to eat all of that. Yeah, so there's wait. a couple more that we're gonna announce closer to the okay. date. So, nice. so I've only been to the Asian Art Museum for um, Camfest Gala. So, like, that was my one time to like. I want to wear high heels and a nice dress. Like, what's going to be the attire for this uh, Chef's Hawker Center Festival? You know, it's really just casual. We want everyone to just have a good time and feel comfortable trying new things. And hopefully people will kind of wander into the galleries and be like, oh, I never knew this was here. And just have it be really open and casual. So it's going to be full access, like, to the rest of the museum? Yes. So the oh, tickets, so cool. our special exhibition will also be open, Divine Bodies. And so all the tickets include access to that, those exhibitions. What is this Divine Bodies exhibit? So the Divine Bodies exhibit, it's actually going to be kind of the last chances to see it because it closes a couple days after. Okay. So it is actually kind of really celebrating our collection of Buddhist and Hindu art and it's asking the question how have we as humans really embodied the divine into kind of figures and like how over the years and even there are some contemporary works too on how we look at the divine through bodies. Very cool. When I saw that I was thinking like the bodies exhibit where it's oh, when, like, oh, like right. flesh. Oh like actual <laughs> yeah. humans? Yes. Yeah. Sorry this is a food <laughs> podcast but... but what I was thinking. <laughs> so thank you for explaining so, that because yeah. that's what I thought what it was. So if you're squeamish, don't worry, you're good. Yeah, you're you can good. attend this. And then also get some really delicious things too. So where can people get tickets? You can go online to our website or to the Facebook event. It links to the ticketing site on the Asian Art Museum website. And the tickets are, you know, 65 for museum members, 85 for the general audience. And then there's a VIP ticket for 125 and that includes access to a VIP lounge that will have a full open bar sponsored by Silver Oak, a wine bar, I'm sorry, not an open bar. Um, and um, like also, everyone, yeah. everyone's like, what? Sylvia said open bar. No, wine bar. I still like wine. Wine's still good. But it's like nice Silver Oak wine and two is going to create a special dish for in there and he's going to really have one-on-one -on -one time in there. 
there to kind of mingle for the first hour. And if you have not chatted with two yet, you should do that. It's always interesting combos with that guy. Yes, very <laughs> interesting. I do want to kind of mention that it is kid friendly. We will have an ID check. So only people with the ID van will get those drinks. <laughs> so, you know, I want to encourage families to come out with their kids and very really cool. have a good time. And uh, Sylvia, where can we find you or the museum on uh, social media? Well, for the museum, it's just at Asian Art Museum. And then for me, it's so Hari. Like my Korean name's Hari. I'm Korean. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) That's not part of the handle (laughs) if you're trying to look for her. I do eat a lot too, so... Yeah, I love. I actually love doing these programs because I love eating. So, so it's great is that most of shots. your content on your IG? It really is. <laughs> so then, very we- on brand. Yeah. <laughs> What's the most interesting thing you've eaten lately? Well, you know, I really have been wanting to go to Juni, that sushi restaurant. That's like really difficult to get reservations. It's I- pretty good. <laughs> oh, you've had it. I haven't had it yet. It was wonderful, and I went because my mom just came for like a layover, and we're, I was like, oh, I'll check if there's an opening. And I guess someone canceled because there was one. Oh, you got lucky. There usually yeah. is a long wait. So I was like, that was great. It was really a great experience. Where's your favorite Korean? food in the Bay Area? Well, in the city, I think it's a little harder for me to choose one, but I think South Bay, you know, there's Cheongdam and Mubongmi, um, but I think on the East Bay too, Cheongkatsup is pretty good. Yeah. Where's that one at? Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. Oh, it's okay. I don't, I don't know the East Bay streets just very well. I actually just moved there and so I'm just starting oh, nice. to learn the streets. I'm but... out there as well. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just like drove up there and I was like oh here it's a Korean place that was really good but it was good yeah we'll google it after this because I want to find out thank you yeah well thank you yeah no thank you this was a lot of fun and we will see you at the event soon we will see you on July 19th yep later thank you bye All right, it's Cheva Ding here with Dine Peace. We're here at the Asian Art Museum with a very special guest. Do you want to introduce yourself for the people? Yeah, uh, my name is Duki Hong, chef of Sunday at the Museum. I'm Janet. I'm general manager of Sunday at the Museum. Thanks for being here, guys. Yeah, thank you so much. You, know, you, you actually get- introduced yourself as Cheva Ding. That's... <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, she actually did it. That's oh, I do it. I, yeah. yeah, I got it. I got to do it for the show. It's awesome. <laughs> got it. We got to stay in costume. I mean, yeah, like you just said, folks, <laughs> folks that know us know the governments, but that's not why we're here. Um, we're here to talk to you guys. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, again, taking the time out to be here. We know you guys are very busy with everything going on. And uh, why don't you start with telling us a little bit about yourselves? I'm from New York. I'm a chef out of New York. All my experience so far has been in New York. Uh, I moved here about a year ago to do Sunday Bird, which is a small pop-up in uh, of the Boba Guys. Boba Guys on um, So yeah, Boba yeah. Guys is, is a partner in that and also a partner in Sunday at the Museum along with the Asian Art Museum. Last summer, we got called to do the food and beverage program at the Asian Art Museum. And yeah, we're here now three months in. And, and yeah, we're just kind of trekking along. How's it going so far in the three months? It honestly flew by. Um, I feel like we just opened yesterday, but at the same time, <laughs> I feel like it's been a very long time. Yeah, it's been, it's a hundred percent. Like, oh, it's only been three months, and hundred percent. Like, oh my gosh, it's only been three months. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and Janice from Cezanne, she is more local. She can introduce herself. <laughs> um, so I was born and raised in San Francisco, and I actually met Rarity. Dookie mm. through the Boba Guys. I worked for the Boba Guys back in college, and then I went on to fine dining. I studied hospitality in college. So after Boba Guys, I went to SPQR, then Saison, and then they introduced me to Dookie originally to do social media for Sunday Bird, which is his first pop-up in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they were approached with this special project at the museum, and then we started working together. 
Very cool. So I know that first pop-up, uh, you left doing some homework before this. You left uh, behind quite a scene over on the East Coast. Yeah. What's the reason for coming over here and how has that been with the pop-up and this so far? I think the real reason, or and it's pretty well known, um, I think for me leaving New York was a big step, at least in my culinary career. And it honestly, to be honest, it wasn't like, oh, I want to go to San Francisco. It was, I want to leave New York. We have and better weather here. <laughs> no, it's, it's incredible. I trust <laughs> Today, me. Today's I, questionable, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, today is questionable. And you don't have many of these days. Like most of the days I wake up, I was like, dang, it's beautiful here. Yeah. And for me, it was, I was getting very comfortable in New York. And um, like you said, it was at a point where I was taking a lot of things for granted. I didn't feel like I was actually like working hard enough for back then I was 26. Um, I felt like I should be working harder for a 26 year old in the industry. And so I left and I met Andrew by chance in a stop. I stopped by San Francisco to see Chef Belinda of Be Patisserie because we're friends from way back. And on that trip, I had a dinner with him and talking about chicken and pop-ups. And he's like, hey, I'm opening up a store that has a kitchen. All in all, it turned into a pop-up. And from that conversation, probably three months after I was in San Francisco. Wow, so that's crazy. Yeah, if you ever met Andrew, he's a very, uh, he'll talk your ear off, but he's a very <laughs> like, he'll, he'll fire you up, you know? And yeah. he's enough for me to trust him on a handshake and move out here. Um, and kind of start this journey and it's been great. I, I really have nothing bad to say about San Francisco. They've, if anything, they've been too nice to me. Um, <laughs> they're good guys. <laughs> San Francisco is incredible and the food community is, like you said, it's very small but uh, very strong. Everyone knows everybody and I'm just trying to slowly ingratiate myself here and Jan has been a big help because she grew up, like her home is the SF food industry and, and the dining community. So. I've been leaning on her a lot in terms of just forming a community here myself. That's awesome. Do you feel like San Francisco is a home now for you? Or is it still too soon to kind of decide that yet? It's a, it's a second home. Uh, I think <laughs> my, my heart is always New York. I think I'll feel it even if I live the next 20 years yeah. outside of New York. And mm -hmm. I think... New Yorkers kind of have that, for better or worse. We always feel like we're in the best city. I know I shouldn't say that in San Francisco, but not yet. Uh, I do miss home uh, here and there, and home is New York City uh, for me and a lot of my communities there. But I think recently, this past year, I've been trying to make a conscious effort of just ingratiating myself more, putting myself out there more. Me, Janet, and Peter, who also runs this with us, we don't get out much, like it's, <laughs> especially three months in. We're like, this is all we see. And so many growing Asian pains. museums home. Yeah, Asian yeah, art, yeah, it's not even San Francisco. Like, yeah, so my home is uh, not even New York. Forget New York. Uh, it's Asian Art Museum, 200 Larkin Street. Yeah. Uh, That's where yeah. your mail gets sent? Yeah. It really does. Oh, really? <laughs> Shouldn't tell Asian Art Museum that. Like, no personal email, <laughs> mail's here. But yeah, it's been uh, quite a ride, and but San Francisco has been, I would call it my home, and I think if I leave and when I leave, uh, if at least, um, <laughs> I'll always consider it home and, and the place that gave me an opportunity to do uh, my food and, and our concepts. San Francisco will do that to you. It'll suck you in. <laughs> As evident how rare Janet is, like somebody that's born and raised I've here, thought about still here. So many times, yeah. but, but something then keeps I, you here. And I go, and then every time I come back from a trip, I'm like, why would I? <laughs> there's no traffic. Yeah. There's, well, that's something. Yeah, maybe. Compared to New York. Um, yeah. And the people are just so. I remember the first month or two opening up Sunday Bird. I was like just making very basic culinary mistakes. Like, it's like wasn't good, to be honest. And um, my Yelp reviews would tell you it wasn't <laughs> good. Um, but they'll come back. Like I guess I was like, what are you doing here? Like, I, I served you raw chicken last week. Um, <laughs> 
But they're like, oh no, we understand you're opening. I was just like, Mira, give me a hug. You know? <laughs> it was just very, it's a very welcoming city. And for me, that just makes me want to work harder and, and do those concepts that we always talk about. And yeah, that kind of motivates me a lot. So I've noticed your two pop-ups, the one here at the museum and the one you have at the back of the Boba Guy store. Mm-hmm. They both have the name Sunday in it. So yeah. is that kind of like the overlying theme you want to have for everything? And kind of what does that mean in terms of your food and the concept? Absolutely. Here's not really a pop-up. Hopefully it's not a pop-up. Sunday Bird is a pop-up here. We're here pretty permanently. Oh, okay. At least the next five years. Sunday to us, we're forming a Sunday hospitality group, and we don't want to make it very like Sunday, uh, Mm -hmm. Sunday, and all the names. But at least for us, because we're such a young hospitality group, and it's still forming. Like, what does that actually mean? Mm -hmm. You know, we were talking about Momofuku before off this. Even that, when I was there almost 10 years ago, it wasn't what it was now. Like Momofuku really defined itself as it grew. And I think for us, similarly, Sunday to us, it, obviously it's the day of rest in, mm-hmm. in the Christian calendar. And for me, when we form this crew, it's kind of what you value, right? Is it like I find quality food or like fine dining food or is it very high priced build outs and whatnot for us. We just wanted to be like, hey, let's focus on having a day of rest for our staff. Like don't go at 100 miles per hour all the time, which kind of feels very ironic because we're going at 100 miles per hour right now. <laughs> yeah. But it's just always a reminder, at least for me, I remember the only time that I felt burnt out was when I was working at uh, Sean George's and I didn't have Sundays off. And those were technically my days off, but we would go in and um, not honoring that day was the only time in my 13 years of cooking that I ever wanted to quit. Seeing that word always to me just reminds me this is not that serious. You know, we're here to make cool concepts that we enjoy, but also our guests enjoy. And yeah, it's just a constant reminder. So Sunday Bird having that, if you see the logo, it's three chicken steps. Um, <laughs> and Andrew made it up. Um, it was like our first steps into just this oh, hospitality cool. group. And Sunday at the museum is our interpretation. And we just wanted to show that we what our type of warm hospitality is in our museum. It was a very long-winded answer. No, that's, that's that was great. So I guess to kind of shift gears, what can you guys tell us about the Chef's Hawker Center Festival? So this is the first event that Sylvia is putting together for the Asian Art Museum, and it's a really exciting kind of transition period for the Asian Art Museum. Um, I think a lot of the other museums in San Francisco have been getting a lot more exposure, like MoMA and... Um, The MoMA has like a Michelin restaurant institute inside. And so we're trying to, or the museum is trying to shift the focus and introduce food into the museum. So this is kind of their first fine dining-esque event where we invited a bunch of chefs to have booths and um, set up around the museum. And we're actually going to um, shift our cafe into a VIP room. Oh, nice. Very cool. Yeah, really cool. friend too, I think, is the host chef. And also, like, really named local chefs that are doing really crazy cool Asian food uh, around the city. And, oh. and the whole night market element of it, this is mm-hmm. something that's needed. And I feel like it's the first event of its kind where you're showcasing not only the chefs, but the cuisine. And I'm excited. It's an inaugural event, and hopefully it's an event that happens annually. I think what's going to be cool about this event is that our generation is going to get to showcase Asian food in a higher level. Sure. I feel like a lot of Asian food is put in this, like, like a to-go box. Like Chinese yeah. takeout. Chinese takeout, right? Yeah. So I think this is going to be really great for all these chefs to, like, show their shit. Yeah, <laughs> you know? absolutely. Well, I was actually going to put my dish in a Chinese takeout box, but I guess... But you know what I mean, like, anymore. you know, like, scratch that idea. You know what I mean, right? Like, like a figurative takeout box. Take-out Not box. a literal one. A literal two, one. Two does his one salad in a takeout box at his pop up. So it's fine. That's exactly what I was going to do. Because it's, it's making a statement. <laughs> it's not. I, 
<laughs> no, I think you still can. Just do you it still and flip can. and do it in your own way. You yeah. definitely can. Do you have any plugs you want to have? Any socials where we can find uh, what you guys got going on? Um, our Instagram is at Sunday at the Museum. And that's about it. We're not really big on Facebook. Um, it's yeah. mostly Instagram. Instagram, you can see what we're up to. Yeah. Instagram. Mm-hmm. Well, Sunday Bird is Sunday Bird SF. And that's about it, yeah. One more thing. Can you give us a sneak peek of what you're making for? Oh, shit. Sylvia told me about this. Ooh. It's going to be a nice Korean-inspired dish, not fully traditionally Korean, but it's going to be a Korean-American. Beautiful. We kind of want to introduce that nostalgic Asian-American 90s type. I love it. Which is, um, that was vague enough. Which yeah. is what yeah. our venue uh, is inspired on. We want it to be like an Asian-American during Drum. the 90s. Nice. Perfect. I cannot wait. Thank you so much. Thanks. So it's fajita night, and we have... Adam Boots Brogan with us. Yes, very nice to meet you guys. <laughs> What's the new AKA? Pokey Boots? Pokey Boots. Pokey Boots pokey is boots. the new name now. Yeah, Pokey <laughs> I Pokey. Love it. Hand on the chin emoji. <laughs> For people who don't know the Pokey Pokey, I'm guessing your listeners would. It's, it's that the hand on the chin is kind of like pointing. Like a Nike sign? Yeah, it means handsome, handsome, right? Yeah. 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 I, didn't, I didn't know face that. Emoji. Yeah. I've seen the thinking face emoji. It's like, hmm. You ever go to the PI, all the little kids, they strike a pose. And, <laughs> They do like the little V under the chin. And I love it. That's, that's the look. So You learn something new every day. Yeah, I, I have to do it just to prove I'm Filipino. <laughs> you definitely proved that. Yeah. Thanks for being here, man. No, no, it's awesome, man. It's a pleasure. It's yeah. an absolute honor. So I think, you know, a little quick, like, uh, what, job interview things? like. What's my background? Um, I mean, how deep do you want to go? As far as the drinks go, let's just stick there. Um, cocktails. That's what I do. Craft cocktails, do uh, the mixology. Um, a lot of bartenders hate that term, uh, myself included. But really what it means is that the approach to craft is fresh ingredients, really specializing in, in making well-balanced drinks. But uh, I always tell people, first and foremost, I'm a bartender. A friend of mine years ago said, uh, mixologists serve drinks and bartenders serve people. Um, oh, okay. And I'll forever be a bartender. It's that interaction. It's that relationship that you have with people. I'll make a bomb ass drink. That's the mixology side. But really, I take pride in being a bartender. Being that uh, it's a food podcast, too, I think maybe you can even make a similar correlation where people are like chef versus cook. I think what it comes down to is just that the terminology is that air of pretentiousness, mm-hmm. that arrogance. I mean, mixologists, at least in everyone's eyes, in my own eyes, are those people that don't even look at you and they spend like five minutes making one drink. Because yeah. there's so many like intricate parts. Yeah, to it, I just right? like, I, I will go to those bars. Um, I'll travel the world and try all the best cocktails because I want to see what other people are doing. Um, how, they, curious, how they're working with Research different Research and development. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> but I also just want to wear a t-shirt when I'm at those bars that say like, I want a beer in a shop. Yeah. <laughs> while you make that delicious cocktail. Yeah. Like I'll wait five minutes for a drink as long as I got like a Jameson in front of me. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's so, all about balance. Absolutely. No, absolutely. So I think what you're talking about as far as cooks or chefs or whether you want to be uh, a CDC, a chef de cuisine. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm talking in more of the terms of like, there's this title thing that goes on with all absolutely. these terms. Absolutely. Yeah, no. People but at the end of the day, you strip titles. it away. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's like whether you cook, whether you bartend, it comes down to what you put on the plate or what you put in a glass. Can you actually provide and can you come through? So Or just make that experience really, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's what it's really all about. That's what you're paying the money for. It's hospitality. Yes. It's, it's hosting. Years ago, uh, I was bartending in London. I had a bar manager who said, you're not bartending, you're hosting. Mm-hmm. He said, you just have a lot more liquor here than you do at your own house. <laughs> but make, make sure people feel comfortable, get to know, uh, ask them the name, offer your name, but make sure they're, you know, they're comfortable. Nice. Uh, if they're not even drinking, offer them a water. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Or like it's, if it's the DD, you, you offer something cool that's Oh, absolutely. That's, that's DDs, it's kind of been like my policy. If you're a DD, like good on you. Yeah. You're doing, uh, you're doing, you're doing the Lord's thing. work. Or, yeah, or how, how do you feel about that term mocktail? I hate it. Okay. I just had to validate. I just had to validate. All right. I hate it. It's, 
I will make you a bomb ass mocktail, but really, it's I'm not going to call it that. It's, it's fizzy juice. <laughs> it's, hey. You want a mocktail, but um, no, I mean, for people who don't drink, for for pregnant women, uh, DDs, uh, people who actually yeah just don't want to drink, mm -hmm. that's fine. I want you to be comfortable in my bar, and I want you to feel welcome. Yeah, yeah. So Absolutely. I have to make you a mocktail for your water all day. Yeah. Speaking about hosting being welcome, if you hear this background noise, we're uh, downstairs in the basement. We're in the barracks right now. At uh, Louis Bar. Shout out to Louis Bar. Shout out. Yeah, no, this place is special. I've known this place for about four or five years. Uh, I was explaining that this is the kind of bar that we call your favorite bartender's favorite bar. And what we mean by that is we have beer in a shop for $8. Mm -hmm. Hams and Fernet for 6 bucks. Our sister bar, Tempest, you can get a pint of PBR, 16 ounces. Not a little can and a shot of Jim Beam for five dollars. Yep. Like wow. you feel like you're stealing. I've had that many times before. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, Tempest yeah. is where you go to get dirty and uh, <laughs> yeah. That's our sister bar. And also, but why bartenders and servers and everyone in the industry, uh, cooks, dishwashers, hosts, everyone in the industry loves our bars because our kitchens are always open till one. So, you know, you run a restaurant till 11 or 12, you've been on your feet for 10 hours. You need to eat. You need a bite to eat and uh, you definitely need something to drink. And our chef, our head chef, Stephen Crawford, came from Michael Mina. Oh. So it's not just bar food, it's elevated bar food. Hell yeah. It's good bar food. Yeah, I was about to add to that point. Not only is the kitchen open until one, it's actual great food here too. Yeah. I, I'm not a bartender, but this is also one of my favorite bars. I work Appreciate around the corner. So I've that. been here many a time and enjoyed the potato skins, the pastrami egg rolls. The yeah, for the coffee you know, popcorn, the you Bangkok know the menu. Yeah, you I know, know most. Menu. I've been here a little, a few too many times. <laughs> so you fucked up. Now we know each other. Now uh, you're going to be here more. Oh, man. Yeah. What did I just do to myself? <laughs> oh, well, more tequila. That's what's that's, going that's on. That's probably as well, too. Absolutely. So uh, how'd you get involved with uh, the museum? Yeah. Uh, I got involved with Chef 2. Shout out to Southeast Beast. Shout sitting out. over here right now. Shout out to Two. Honestly, Chef Two is one of those people, positive person. I want him as my hype man for life. But no, I met Chef Two. Uh, I was working at my last bar, uh, Chef Jake Juan Rosebush. We built a bar together called Hardwood. Hey, I'm working at Louis, but I'm telling you, if you want the best barbecue in the city, yo, go to Hardwood. Hardwood Bar and Smokery on 8th and Brandon. Jake smokes ribs for six hours and brisket for 14. He does not play with his food. Back to the story was Jake introduced me to Chef Two. Two is going to do some pop-ups with us on Sundays. Obviously, anybody that Jake vouches for, Jake is the reason why my nickname is Boots. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I've known Jake for 23 years, so anybody he vouches for is family off the bat. And met Two, we want to do his Sunday pop-ups. And me and Two kind of built a very unique relationship in that we needed a bartender for his events, and I wanted to do it. Some of my greatest inspiration as a bartender doesn't come from other bartenders, it actually comes from chefs. Mm -hmm. Chefs have palates that just shit on bartenders. So I hate it when those, quote unquote, going back to the mixologists, when they say I'm like a chef with liquor. No, you're fucking not. <laughs> chefs are chefs. We kind of deal with like four or five different flavors. You know, you're sour, you're bitter, you're sweet, some heat. But chefs, they work with so many herbs and spices that just is unfathomable for bartenders. And so every time I work with chefs, I kind of see what they're working with and inspires me to add different layers or just go different directions with my drinks that I wouldn't even thought of. So what Chef Two and I did was dinner service was at seven, dinner service was at seven, and I would come in at like two or three in the afternoon on my own time, kind of see Chef, and he had already been prepping for like four or five hours, and I would take byproduct from what he was cooking with and kind of did like a chop challenge. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh shit, Chef has got some fresh coconut water. Chef has got some tapioca that he's working with. Chef's got some calamansi. Like, let me kind of take what Chef is working, uh, do the kind of sustainable kind of bartending, 
make sure there's no waste. I would run over to Trader Joe's, grab a bunch of produce, grab a bunch of herbs, and start mixing. And then I kind of have to run back and forth to the store and just make some drinks happen. But I loved the challenge of it. Um, and I love the inspiration of working with two because some of the drinks I made there, I would never have dreamed of making had I not have been trying to pair it with his dinners and trying to work with his byproducts. So that's how we became friends. He kind of tied me in and anything that Chef 2 is involved with, I'm on board. Can you give us a sneak peek of what you're making for the festival? I've been working on my drink for three weeks, so it's dialed in. I'm going to hype this shit because I'm so excited. I can describe it to you and explain it to you, but really until you have it, you won't know how fucking good it is. So is this just one drink? One drink. Okay. okay. I have to serve 700 people. So you're putting all the focus in this one recipe. Absolutely. Nice. I'm hyped. My experience when you're doing big events is do one drink, but execute it perfectly. And also just work on speed of service. Like people don't want to wait. Yeah. yeah. Like we were talking about five minutes for one drink when there's 699 people. Well, I remember them. like when I worked the pop-ups with you guys, it was yeah. all pre-batched. Yeah. Absolutely. That's the only way to really do it. And for people who aren't aware of what batching is, is bars, we do it to save ourselves time, but there's no... It's not diluted in any no, way. There's no dilution. Well, you can pre-dilute, yeah, yeah. but I'd rather not. Yeah. There's no sacrifice on quality. Yeah. Trick Dog, they batch. Yeah. I learned how to batch from Josh Harris, the owner of Trick Dog, mm -hmm. and there's rules that you use towards batching, and as long as you stick to those rules, there is no sacrifice on the quality and the flavor doesn't change over time because alcohol is shelf-stable. Mm -hmm. Food, unfortunately, is not. They no. kind of have to do stuff a la menu. Or what about the ingredients that you're putting into some of these that aren't alcohol that might be as not shelf-stable? Refrigeration. Oh, okay. I've batched a lot of my drink and there's some stuff that I'll have to do the morning of. Uh -huh. uh, Just to, for the freshness sake. Absolutely. Okay. But throughout the course of the event, there's no difference. For example, if I wanted to batch out a Negroni, which is equal parts gin, sweet vermouth, and Campari, all three ingredients are shelf-stable. And I actually do this with my bar here at Louis. When I create cocktails is, rather than make my bartenders grab three bottles and pour an ounce of each, I can just in a big Cambro, Cambro's are those big plastic containers that chefs Sounds like a frat here. thing, can bro. Yeah, hey bro. Hey bro, can bro. It's a kitchen bro thing. <laughs> but what I'll do is I can put a liter of gin, a liter of sweet vermouth, a liter of Campari, and then it's a perfect ratio. Oh, okay. So then my bartenders just have to grab one bottle instead of three, pour three ounces. So it's actually, it's quicker, it's more efficient, it's more consistent. So there's no room for error because the difference between an ounce, an ounce and a quarter, or three quarters of an ounce is huge when you're making these delicate cocktails. So when you batch them, if people go over, it's still going to be the perfect ratio. Wow. They're just going to get a bigger drink. Yeah. Right. So batching really is key. And so what I've done, back to your question, I've really taken on the challenge of embracing the roots. You know, this is Chef's Hawker Center. This yep. is kind of going back to our Asian heritage and just allowing people to embrace and discover. And I'm half Filipino. So one of the things that I love um, and that my late grandfather used to swear by is taro. Oh, uh, my grandfather lived till 96 years old. And I asked him, I said, how do you live so long? And he said, no stress and taro roots. <laughs> That's yeah, amazing. Were, yeah. <laughs> one sounds a little easier than the other one. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. That was, that, well, that, sustainable. That was, so that was his secret. So taro root. And I just thought working off of a previous event that I worked with Chef 2 was um, he had these beautiful tapioca pearls. And I believe he was making like a salmon caviar. It was a lobster. Lobster, lobster, lobster right. with lobster boba. Oh, I missed that dinner. That sounds amazing. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I, I helped put it together. <laughs> <laughs> so I took those tapioca pearls. They were the micro tapioca pearls, the, the little white translucent one. 
and I kind of made an offshoot of a boba. Yes. It wasn't quite because I kind of like had to chop challenge it in two hours and I, and I made some things work with it. But the beautiful thing about tapioca and that Chef 2 taught me was that after you cook it, kind of like rice, after it dries out, it'll take on any liquid that you soak it in. Mm -hmm. So I soaked my tapioca in a cocktail. So it was kind of a cocktail in a cocktail. Oh, yeah. Like on some Double whammy. <laughs> Oh yeah, on some Inception shit. Oh damn, that's <laughs> you know, like tight. you have a cocktail and then you take a bite of the chewy tapioca and you're getting a different flavor, whether it's some bitterness or some acidity and just something a little contrast to the cocktail that I'm doing. So, what I'm gonna do, if you want to sneak peek this, fair enough, but I want everyone to get excited because you will not understand this until you try it. <laughs> I took a uh, taro root. I made a taro milk tea. I used Jack Daniel's rye. What, 150 years they've been distilling Jack Daniels. Yeah. Uh, that's it, they've never done a rye. They've done barrel strength, they've done single barrel, they've done different variations of the same Tennessee whiskey. Mm -hmm. They've never done a rye whiskey. And they just released it last year. That was actually the competition that I won. It was amazing. The mass nice total flex there. Yeah, no, like just this to is let little, people what, know. What's that competition? No, it was a Jack Daniels Rye competition. And um, it was a little flex, but also it was very humbling. The master distiller came out himself. Oh, that's awesome. And he introduced Jack Daniels Rye to our market, to the Bay Area. And he did a challenge with all the bartenders in the Bay Area. We were led to a back room and there was a table and you had one minute to look at the table and four minutes to make a cocktail. Wow. Um, and the one thing that I noticed was there's uh, banana notes on oh, the rye whiskey. On the rye. And something you would never notice. In smelling it, you can almost smell roasted bananas. Interesting, okay. It's kind of a nice little tip of the cap to my Filipino roots because Jack Daniels is huge in the Philippines. I feel like in most Asian culture, because it's so American, in most Asian cultures, they love, love Western. They love yeah. Western anything. In the Philippines, especially because of the military influence yeah, for sure. from World War II, that's actually how my grandfather came over here, was he fought for the U.S. Army. And uh, Jack Daniels is just so infused in the culture because of the military back then. And um, it's kind of a nice tip of the cap. Yeah. So I used that, is you have taro, which is earthy and savory. But then it's also tropical. I wanted to bring the Filipino roots, so I put some banana in To it. really bring that yeah. out. Yeah, and nice. you know rye, as you were saying, rye has a little more spice than mm -hmm. bourbon. Yeah, In a good and way, a little more harshness to it. Yeah, no, it's just kind of got like a little... It's a little more little, aggressive. Yeah, you can feel it. Yeah. It's got that mouthfeel that we like, but to kind of tone that down, sherry. Uh, oh, sh sherry is a very underutilized ingredient, and I made a manzanilla sherry syrup. Oh, wow. Kind of tone it down. My tapioca balls... I soaked in manzanilla syrup. So they're kind of carrying some manzanilla through the taro root and through the banana of the jack rye. And what you have is a boozy boba. Ooh. I mean, we're Asian. Put boba in front of Asian kid, we go crazy. <laughs> that, you were right, yeah, you ain't wrong about that. I did a boozy boba and all those flavors kind of came together and I wanted one more thing. I think it's kind of me doing that mixology thing and also just me being greedy. I want more flavors and I want to bring more too. So. Um, we have a passion fruit cream on top. Yes. Taro. Because crema on boba is pretty popular right yes. now. Yes. <laughs> yes. I just found that out. I thought I was the first one to do it, like uh -huh. I was a trailblazer. And then I actually <laughs> found you out. You are in the boozy world. It's yes. a thing. Yes. Shout out to the boba guys. I know they're going to be invited oh, or yeah. Um, yeah. involved in the event, but I'm putting alcohol in mine. It's one of those things that you get the, the earthiness, the savory. Uh, you get a little tropical with a banana and then I needed some acidity. Which is also a big hallmark of Filipino cuisine in general too. Absolutely. It's kind of what makes Filipino food so polarizing is the vinegar, mm -hmm. the, the fish sauce. They're not afraid of flavor. 
And definitely when you have something sweet and creamy like the taro and, and rye boba. Um, need that cut. I needed a cut. I needed that tartness and I needed acidity, something to brighten it up. Yeah. And so I spent three weeks to make this cocktail, but one week making this, this cream. I wanted to do a passion fruit foam, but I spoke to one of my friends uh, at Michael Mina. Uh, shout out to Carrie Ann Lopez. She no longer with Michael Mina, but she was there number two for like six years. She knows what the fuck she's doing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was talking to her about doing a foam and she said it won't last but half an hour before it starts to break mm, down. Makes sense. Um, I tried to work with a mousse doing uh, condensed milk and some creme de leche. That sounds tight too. It did, but it made it overly sweet. Oh, okay. It kind of like countered what I wanted to do. Yeah. And uh, thinking about Buena Vista that does Irish coffees, mm -hmm. there's a cream. They Don use heavy whipping cream. a big fan of those. Oh, yeah. For people who are in San Francisco and you haven't had a Buena Vista Irish coffee, you, need, you need to go there now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, they're the inventors of the Irish coffee yeah, yeah. as far as the cocktail goes. So I took heavy whipping cream, folded in some passion fruit pulp. It sounds like a lot going on, but when you come see me at the event, trust me, I'm going to blow your mind. It's going to be crazy. The only thing you got to tell is like no kids. Like, cause it tastes, oh, yeah, true. Oh, yeah, man. it oh, tastes man. like candy and the kids are going to want some unless you want little drunk kids running around. Like, I yeah, be a good parent, but enjoy this drink. Yeah, we cannot I, have that. <laughs> that. That's my words of wisdom right there. Cool. Be a good parent. So were you able to find mini boba straws for this or are you going to have to cut them? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> The fact that you know that there are no mini boba straws. <laughs> Who's buying mini boba drinks? No. Exactly. Because exactly. you need like that half inch diameter. Yes. But getting a four inch tall the half inch diameter. Just get straw. the whole like packet in the plastic and just chop it with the cleaver. You might be good. Yeah. I should have used the cleaver. If there's no, any I, Boots I, fans out there, he needs boba straw cutters. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, trust me. My girlfriend makes fun of me because I just sit at home on the couch just cutting boba straws. <laughs> <laughs> What people don't see behind the scenes of these events is the chefs, the bartenders, is the hours and hours of prep. It's one of those things that working with two, like I said, his dinners used to start at seven. He'd be in there at like 10 a.m., 11 a.m. We put so much hours of prep. So when people kind of bitch about the prices of plates or the prices of cocktails, it's kind of like, those aren't fuck. The yeah, those are the people you need to be around. Yeah, no, fuck you. <laughs> if you want a cheap drink, go home, get some whiskey and pour some And cut your own boba straws. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, we put hours into this and it's just, it's love and pride into our product, but also because we want to give the best drink, the best plates to the consumers, to the customers, to our guests. Um, and really, I put so much into this. I know two, I know Jaquan Rosenbush is just killing it. Every bartender and every chef that's involved in not just this event, but just everywhere you go is doing so much work behind the scenes. And it's kind of nice to actually be able to talk with you guys here and, and explain that to your listeners because a lot of people don't see that. They just see the finished product. Like, right? yeah. this is passion work. Yeah. Well, this one has passion fruit, but it's also passion. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Drake. Yeah. <laughs> we, need to, we need to put a little passion fruit. One beat. last thing. Yes. What is proper bar etiquette for you? Like, who are you not going to serve? Oh, that's Ooh. such a tough one. I preach to everybody, my bartenders, all my staff, and everybody that I'm training that going back to what I was saying before is we're hosts and everybody's welcome. So if you don't drink, have a water. Yeah. If somebody wants a vodka cranberry and you don't think that that's... Or like uh, a sex on the beach or something. Yeah, or a sex on the beach. Like, okay, so that's not a craft cocktail that you feel is like... At your level or whatever. At your level yeah. or they should try something more difficult. Just make them the best fucking vodka cranberry that they want. Yeah. Make them the best sex on the beach. Like, maybe on the second round, say, I've got a drink like that. 
and, and try to like expand you know their horizons and get them to try new things i think people want to try new things so it's our jobs to get them to embrace that but it's definitely not a bartender's job to judge people mm -hmm. people come through our doors to unwind and relax and i definitely don't go to bars to fucking get judged and get talked down to or belittled i hate that i absolutely hate that um so we don't do that that being said <laughs> Who will I not serve? <laughs> assholes. I, I don't know what assholes means. Is you could be the dude waving money in my face. You could be the guy barking at me while I'm already serving a customer. But as I said, I'm hosting. This is my house. Whatever bar I'm behind, whether I'm here at Louis or I'm at the next joint, that's my house. And I want everybody to feel comfortable. So if you make me feel uncomfortable or the person you're sitting next to feel uncomfortable, you gotta fucking go. Really, it's just that decorum of you're a guest feel at home, get relaxed, but everybody should be able to appreciate that experience with the food and the drink. It's just, we're here to unwind and we're not here for bullshit. You walk through a bar door, check your paycheck at the door, check your job hey. title at the door. If you can afford a beer, a glass of wine or whatever, we're all equals. Um, so really, that's kind of my ethos is anytime you come to a bar is, um, yeah, just act appropriately, you know, say your please and thank yous, kids. I can't tell you how many millennials in this age of gimme, gimme, gimme. Oh, we're the worst. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm 35, so I'm on that, like, the edge, the, the Zenials. Cut, the like, yeah. yeah, Generation X. Like, I get it. We have apps, and it just gives you stuff on instant. But say your please and thank yous, and the bartender will love you. And tip a dollar on every drink is... And the bartender will... You'll always be in good standing. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. no, you're always welcome in any bar. Just mind your P's and Q's, and just, just relax, man. It, you're at a bar. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also in restaurants, when it comes to two, he'll explain like food takes time. Good food yeah. takes time. Mm -hmm. You want something in an instant? Go get that dollar menu. Like, yeah. fine. Like, no judgment. Yeah, you yeah. Know? I had a double cheeseburger last Saturday. <laughs> I will get down. But yeah. if you want good food and good drinks, like, wait a while. Take your time. Get off Relax. your phone. And appreciate. Talk to people. Talk to your neighbors. Like, hang out. Yeah. This is, uh, I think bars and restaurants, they're a social institution. I think people forget that. This is about enjoying the moment. Uh, enjoying your company in front of you and, and food and drink is just a vehicle to bring people together. That's really the magic that we do. But everything that happens between is on our guests to kind of do. We're just the facilitators. I can't even that follow was that. Yeah. No, that's so that nice. Yeah, not to go. Over, it might be the tequila. Hey, <laughs> but, but it's also it's why we do what we do, or at least why I do what I do. Um, is we love this, and I can't wait to see everybody at the Chef's Hawker Center, July nineteenth. Buy your tickets now because there's limited tickets available. Come see me. I'll be there. We have a big banner. It says uh, Louis. You see a big whale on there with Jack Daniels. Uh, I'll be back there with a shitty grin pouring up Uzi <laughs> yeah, Boba. Yeah. I might even have some extra Jack in the back and we'll just do shots. Hey. <laughs> I was going to say plug yourself, but you did that all for me already. You did my job. No, it's at Bootsy Brogan. B-O-O-T-S-Y Brogan. B-R-O-G-A-N. Very, class, very classy black and white headshot. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's on Snapchat. It's on Instagram, Facebook. It's all the same all around. Thank you uh, so much for being on our show today. No, no, thank you guys for I having me. I can't wait you. for this boozy boba drink. Oh, it's going to blow your mind. I'm already <laughs> ready. It's going to change wait. the game. <laughs> I'm so excited for everyone to try it. Thank you guys so much yeah. for that. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Um, this was excited. so fun to I'm meet excited. and talk to all of our new friends that are going to be part of the Chef's Hawker Center. So for the listeners, you can visit Asian Art Museum's website and buy tickets from them. They're going fast. Get them now. It's $85 for a regular ticket. If you're a member, it's 65 
and um, 125 for a VIP. And you want to get that VIP if you want that personal tour by two. G-A-M-E. <laughs> and for our podcast, you can follow Sit Down Be Hungry on iTunes, on SoundCloud. Um, follow us on Instagram and sitdownbehungry.club. So the event will take place on Thursday, July 19. VIP access is at 6 p.m. For the rest of the event, it's going to go on from 7 to 10 p.m. Museum-wide, producer Flan Reyes and myself, Dine Peace, will be playing the tunes. I'll be there eating stuff and talking <laughs> to you, maybe. <laughs> and yeah, act fast. Do not sleep on this event because you want to be the first. Yes. To see Chef 2 David Fudu and Body Roll. <laughs> I'll, I'll Body Roll with you as well. <laughs> and Chave Dang Chave as well. Dang. Uh, follow Asian Art Museum on IG. Follow us on Sit Down, Be Hungry. And thank you. Yeah, we'll see you all there. See you there. Hey.